Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Are you doing well today? Yeah? I am too. I'm just so happy to know that God is in control of all things. And the book of Revelation is a book that's written to help us to understand just that. As I'm looking at this book of Revelation, I'm also understanding that the nature of things that are happening are things that we are going to be realizing um, the world has never seen before. I do believe that Satan, the enemy of mankind, knows his days are short. And that's why we're noticing that there's so much upheaval. And what makes it different right now than any other generation is that it's universal. And so many of the things that are revealed in the book of Revelation couldn't happen without the, uh, the World Wide Web, the opportunity for everybody to be on board, get engaged, to watch unfolding events. So I, I, I believe that we are seeing the fulfillment of the prophecies of the book of Revelation. I also believe in the hope of the believer and the follower of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the one who takes care, protects, and I also believe that he is the one that when judgment is released, he doesn't just pour judgment out on everyone, but he's very specific that those judgments belong to those who don't know the Lord. So as we look at this, I I want you to know some of these things are really hard for us to get our mind around, and it's a picture and a glimpse of God and of Jesus that we haven't seen over the course of human history, but we, we can understand it when we know that at things as they are are not going to be forever. And if we ask ourselves, why would God go, go to such great lengths? It's because of the nature of sin and the fall of man and wickedness that's on the earth and how deeply it is entrenched in the human heart and even in creation, that rebellion. Now, as we look at the seven trumpets that are going to be blown in heaven and that they're going to ring out, I want us to know that we are going to see a level of spiritual warfare like we have never seen before. It's not going to be, even as right now, our battle's not with people. That's what the Apostle Paul taught us but it's with principalities and powers. What happens now in the book of Revelation is both natural and it's very spiritual. Again, we're going to have to run through these verses. During the week, I, I am releasing some videos that go deeper in these topics, but we can't, I, don't, I want to make sure that we don't bog down too much in this book or it takes so long, people just really get lost. That's my experience in the past. But let's turn in our Bible to Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1. And it talks about seven trumpets being blown. Now, can I remind everyone that we looked at seven seals that were part of a scroll? And as we look at that scroll being unraveled, we realize the book of Revelation, what is it about? It's about Jesus taking back the title deed of the earth that Adam and Eve turned over to Satan, the enemy. 
and that he became the God of this world. As the book of Revelation, we say, wow, this is some really radical stuff, is because Jesus is taking back everything that he died for. He is getting his inheritance. He is insisting that evil and wickedness will be put down once and for all. We saw the events of seven seals on a scroll, unraveling the scroll after the first seal is broken till it got to the second. They'd break the second seal and unravel the scroll further. So it's about unfolding events. Now, on the seventh seal... The seventh seal being broken released the, seventh, the seven trumpets that we're looking at today. I want you to understand there are seven seals, there are seven trumpets, and then there are also seven vials or like bowls that are being poured out. But all of those are description of that seven-year period. So let's look at the book of trumpets here. If you have any questions, please let us know during the week, and maybe it's something that I can address to the, uh, on the videos or to you personally. So Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, when the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense ascended from the angel's hand with the prayers of the saints before God. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and hurled it to the earth, and there were peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Lord, I pray that you would honor your word today and give us ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. So here there are seven angels that are before the throne of God that we realize as we study the prophets that there is all kinds of angelic activity around the throne of the Lord. I would be, even today, if you don't know Jesus Christ or you're just beginning to walk on this journey, I would want to know what prophets have been saying for thousands of years because they're all describing a seven-year period. John right now sees that there is an angel that is before the throne of God, and he takes some of the coals that are off the altar before the throne of God. Now, can I remind you that in heaven, it looks very much, in, in, in the very real way, the way the tabernacle looked when it was on earth and the Jews worshiped. This altar would be the picture of the altar of the burning incense. And here we find an angel is taking the prayers of the saints. Now, you can take that for what it's worth, but it could be those who are placing their faith in Christ, both Jews and people coming out from the nations, and they're praying to God for, and asking for justice. It could be the prayer of every believer who's ever prayed and said, God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here we find the multiplication of prayers. And what believers need to understand, that when we enjoin ourselves in prayer to God, that the angels and heaven actually backs up our prayers. So you just say to yourself, well, I feel so weak when I pray. But here's a picture and a glimpse that we have that the angels will come and they will add the incense before the Lord, before his throne, combined with the prayers of the saints to get the attention of God. Of course, God knows all things, but that's how he's established events unfold. So this angel takes some coals off the altar of the incense that is before the throne of God. He places it in a censer. Let me just explain that. You've seen that in some religions. They fill a, a golden bowl 
that it has a lid on it. It will have holes in it for the smoke to come out of the incense. It's on the end of chains, and you'll see people that will swing the censer to allow the incense to rise. And here we have this picture. Well, imagine what happens then when we're praying, kingdom of God come and will of God be done on earth. We see this beautiful picture. The prayers of the saints go up, the, the, the smoke is taken from the incense. Heaven adds its power to those prayers. They fill a censer. The censer is swung and it's released to the earth so that the kingdom of God comes and the will of God is done on earth as it is in heaven. And John saw the picture of this thing. The angel filling the censer then when he swings it to the earth, we find out that there's peals of thunder, there's sounds, there's flashes of lightning, and there's an earthquake that happens. So what happens is when something is released in the heavenly, even though it's spiritual, the earth will reflect it. It reminds us of when Jesus was hanging on the cross, that for the space of three hours, it got completely dark. The sun was hidden. And during that time, earth was expressing what was going on spiritually. I believe that happens over and over again. Even when I went years ago, the Iron Curtain had just fallen, and we were driving from Germany, and we entered um, into, eventually, the, um, the, the, the USSR. We, when you crossed the border, when you crossed it, you could see a difference that earth was reflecting something different. You could see the oppression. You could see the trees weren't healthy, that the, the, the ground was not the same, and that we find out that when God talks about blessing a nation, when, pe when a nation of people are righteous, even nature reflects that righteousness. All of creation groans for the redemption of the believers. And so we know that creation will show the condition of the saints, and it's so important for us to know. Well, then after this, a first trumpet is blown, releasing hail and fire and blood. So let's read in Revelation 8, 6, and the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. The first sounded and there was hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled to the earth and the third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. We realized that when the first trumpet was blown, and a storm that we have never seen before was released upon the earth. There was hail, there was fire, which is probably the indication that there was um, lightning that was striking at the same kind time, the lightning that hits the ground and causes the fire to spread across the earth. And it was a storm that actually affected a third of the earth being burned up and a third of the trees and all the green grass was burned up. So we find out that there was a, an environmental, if you would, would, occurrence that caused great damage upon the earth. Joel the prophet, hundreds of years even before Christ was born, thousands of years before this day, said this in Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 30 and 31. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. So this is during the blowing of a trumpet. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. That seven-year period is called the day of the Lord. It is near a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there ever be again to the years of many generations. Then he says, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth. 
blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So once again, John receiving this revelation is not the first one to get it. But actually, um, centuries before he came, the prophet Joel had said the same thing. Then we find out that as we're reading this passage that the Lord is saying that there's going to be a release of things that are going to be like in the days of the plagues that visited Jerusalem. The Lord had said to Moses this in Exodus 9, reach out with your hand toward the sky so that hail may fall on all the land of Egypt, on every person and animal, and on every plant of the field throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses reached out with his staff towards the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire, and it ran down to the earth. The Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt, so there was hail and fire flashing intermittently in the midst of the hail, which was very heavy, such as had not incurred in the land of Egypt's, Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck everything that was in the field through all the land of Egypt, from people to animals. The hail also struck every plant of the field and shattered every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, which is where the Jews were living, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. See, once again, I want us to realize as we look at these events that the, the Lord has always demonstrated that he's very careful that when he pours out a judgment, it doesn't fall upon the people of his covenant. It happened even in the, in the nation of Egypt. A hail was coming down with lightning, and it was the size of hail that they had never seen before. It, in Egypt, Hit, it was hitting humans, it was hitting cattle, it was hitting the fields, it was destroying crops, it was destroying everything. So I want us know, to know that what John was saying, it's not the first time that we have a seen that sign happening upon the earth. Then if we look at our text, there's a second trumpet that blows. And here in Revelation chapter 8, verse 8, the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was hurled into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life die, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, it doesn't say that I saw a mountain falling out of the sky. He says, I saw something like a mountain. In other words, this was something huge falling out of the sky. And what would that be a picture of? It would be a picture of a meteor entering into the atmosphere, and it's heading towards the earth. John didn't say that it was a mountain, but what the result of it was that a third of the water turned to blood. It poisoned a third of the water, a third of sea life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, in understanding all of this, and I don't want to take away from the power of any of it, but we have to realize that the center of this activity is happening around Israel. When it refers to not a sea, but the sea, it probably very much would indicate the Mediterranean Sea next to Israel, but its destruction is great. You might say to you, well, you know, has something like this happened before? And I just want to remind everyone that about 3,650 3, years ago, there is evidence that actually a meteor a huge meteor entered our atmosphere. It was heading towards the earth and that in the region of the Dead Sea on the North Shore, they have found cities that were instantaneously wiped out. 
that the people and the evidence of any kind of, of humanity was consumed in a melting heat, they actually find that there is evidence that the heat of this thing that they believe ex exploded about two and a half miles above the Earth's surface, that that is what caused even the melting of the elements. What's very interesting about that as well, that archaeologists are finding this, that it would date back and be evidence to what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah when actually a judgment was released upon the earth. Do you remember that it rained fire and brimstone upon the two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? You might say fire and brimstone. What? Sulfur rocks and, and fire and stones falling out of the sky that came on the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. But I want you to know that even in our generation, there was a, uh, a, an event that was similar in Siberia. And I don't know if you read about that, but the people who were not in the location where it incinerated the ground and just killed thousands of miles of trees and wiped it out, we, we, 830 square miles were destroyed, but people who were not under the direct impact witnessed that when that meteorite hit the ground, it melted the ground so fervently and it scattered stones in the air that they fell in other regions and it was a fire and brimstone that was falling out of the ground. A perfect description of what archeology span has shown what happened during the time of Sodom and Gomorrah. So you might say, since when is the world, you know, they talk about fire and brimstone sermons. Maybe this is one, but the thing is, is that people say, when does that ever happen? But it has happened. And so this is a description of a mountain entering in the atmosphere. So we find out as well that this also repeats a plague that happened in Egypt. The Lord says to Moses to say to Aaron, take your staff, extend your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, over their streams, over their pools, and over all the reservoirs of water so that they may become blood. And there will be blood through all the land of Egypt, both in containers of wood and in containers of stone. So when it describes that this uh, meteorite had fallen, it actually defiles, you know, whether you want to spiritually the, spiritualize the idea of blood or not. We do know that some of the effects of when a meteorite strikes a land that it poisons the water and that had happened in Egypt as well. I'm bringing this up about Egypt because we might just say this sounds like it's a one-off, but God has shown evidence over the course of history and also concerning the nation of Israel with that when he brings a judgment upon a people or upon the earth, it's a very real and cataclysmic event. Then a third trumpet is blown. Let's read in Revelation chapter 8, verse 10. The, the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven. Well, it sounds like the same thing. He said he's seeing it as a burning star. It was burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the waters because they were made bitter. So what we're realizing is that John is seeing that the earth is going through a field of meteors, and that actually is talking about that he saw the stars falling, but he sees two very real events. 
And God, by the blowing of the trumpet, is bringing the announcement that these things are happening on the earth. Can I remind you that I believe that the Bible, the teachings of Jesus, the Old Testament prophets, and the writing of the book of Revelation will be a very real book, and the world will be reading it. They're going to be watching the unfolding events, and they're going to see that everything is unfolding just as God said. Now, the Lord brought in this revelation that this burning star that is falling is going to be called Wormwood, and that's kind of a strange name for for this, but he's letting us understand this is connected to a prophecy that had been given by the prophet Jeremiah 600 years before. Jeremiah said this in chapter 9, verse 13, because they have abandoned my law, God is speaking to Jeremiah about the nation of Israel, their idolatry, They abandoned my law which I put before them and have not obeyed my voice nor walked according to it, but have followed the stubbornness of their heart and the Baals, the idolatry, as their fathers taught them. Therefore, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, behold, I will feed this people wormwood and I will give them poisoned water to drink. So now even in the Jewish tradition and culture, we have this prophecy about the wormwood. What is wormwood? It comes from the absinthe plant, and actually it is a poison. And the reason why it's called wormwood is because the ancients would actually drink it in a very small amount in order to kill worms that were in their digestive system. And so the people began to call it wormwood. And we're finding out that it is like, the Lord is letting us know that it's like a bitter poison that the earth is going to be consuming. Yet at the same time, this will all result in the killing of the affliction uh, that comes against humanity. So that's very interesting. Then we find out that the fourth angel blows a fourth trumpet in heaven. And let's read in in verse 12. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. Here we find out when we just say, how do you how do you do a third of the moon as far as reducing its light or a third of the sun? But what it's saying here is that with the, concerning the sun, the moon, and the stars, a third of it is blocked out. That is prophesied in the scriptures over and over again. Now, one of the things that we know that happens whenever the sun is blocked, that it's a release of a lot of cold weather. A lot of things happen in the impact of that. But then it says this, um, in Luke chapter 21, verse 25, Jesus said, there will be signs in the sun and moon and the stars. The Lord wants us to know, and the reason why he talks about the sun, the moon, and the stars being darkened over and over again in the scriptures is because he says, this will be a sign. So this is the mercy and the compassion and the grace of God that, went, that is revealing to the earth when you see the sun, the moon, and stars be darkened. This is a sign. This is a sign of what? The evidence of the prophetic word and the evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus said there will be signs in the sun, the moon and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Well, of course there's going to be a roaring of the sea and the waves. Why? Because this is happening when a meteorite has hit the sea. It wipes out a third of the ships. Now, a lot of people do believe that's the third of the ships globally the impact of that. But what it's saying here is that there's going to be tsunamis that are just going to be over the top. 
That's why in the scriptures you ask that the question is asked, why are the oceans roaring? There's coming a day when the oceans are going to be so disturbed and it talks about the impact upon the waves. People are going to faint with fear, Jesus said, and the expectation of the things that are coming upon the world. So that's very interesting. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So the Lord just says that this is going to be a sign and the world will know it. And it says this, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. In other words, when these events start to unfold, do you remember that the Apostle Paul told us our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers that are ruling over the nations. So while these events are happening on the earth, we understand that the, the fallen angels that were part of Satan's rebellion, they are being disturbed at the very same time. And out of that disturbance, there comes an increase of spiritual activity upon the earth. The evidence that their time is short, but also they, they're ticked off, if you don't mind me saying that. What I think that we are even seeing right now is um, even on the earth, we're seeing an increase of, of, a, of a deception and an increase of spiritual activity, and it's focused at our children, it's focused in wars and things such as that. That's all part of the signs of the last days. And Jesus said, when you see these things, look up, the redemption is drawing nigh. When there's an increase of spiritual, spiritually motivated wickedness. And if I were to describe one of those things is that, you know, these demonic spirits manifest themselves in perversions, and this whole idea of wanting to be able to teach little children, boys that they can be girls and girls that they can be boys and that there's many genders. And we're asking, how do people believe that there's many genders? There's male and female. And I believe that's just the increase of the deception of the spiritual activity that's being released upon the earth. My battle is not with the people that are trying to promote these things. My battle is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. When you look at people and you understand how can they believe such things, we have to realize we can can walk in forgiveness. Pray for them. Jesus said, bless your enemies. Pray for those who curse you. Why? Because it's an increase in the last days uh, of a perversion, these perverse spirits. The apostle Paul said, there are spirits of, of wickedness, spirits of wickedness, spirits, spirits that are behind unrighteousness and filth and perversion, people are be being driven spiritually by that. So I understand when people say, oh, you shouldn't use the excuse that the devil made me do it because the devil didn't make you do anything. And I agree with that. But I also want you to know, if people are not born again, filled with the spirit of God who enables us and gives us power, when the spirits of wickedness and of perversion come upon them, they have no choice except to give their allegiance to the one who is manipulating them. They don't know where else to go to find truth. So then suddenly we find in the heavens there's a declare of three woes. And this is brought by the, by the, the sound of an eagle flying in the mid-heaven. What is the mid-heaven? The mid-heaven is actually the place we, we, we talk about the, the space between heaven and earth. And that is the place where the, the evil spirits dwell, the principalities and powers. So John sees an eagle flying in the area of the realm of the fallen spirit 
spirits. And that's, that eagle is declaring, woe, woe, woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So we have three trumpets yet that are going to be blown. And those three trumpets are called the three woes. Three woes that are going to come upon the earth. Why are the last three trumpets described as a great woe upon the earth? Because even in the middle of physical calamity that's happening upon the earth, there's coming greater calamities, which will be the releasing of the spiritual warfare against humanity. The devil is the one. You know, when I think of right now what's going on in the state of Maryland and the legislation that's put out there, that they'll have 48 hours after a child is born to determine whether they can be aborted, we all know that that's nothing less than murder. I mean, I believe it's murder even when the child is in the womb. But what are we talking about? Satan from the very beginning has hated Adam and Eve who are created in the image of God. This is nothing more than the release of the hatred of humanity and the hatred of freedom and liberty. Satan, who was created with great glory, he was like a star in heaven, and yet there was one thing he didn't have. He didn't have the declaration or the reality over him when he was made that he was in the very image of God. He was created in the likeness of God. So Satan wants to destroy any evidence of the image of God. Actually, this release of transgenderism is nothing more than Satan says, I hate the part of you that's created in the image of God. I hate the fact that God made you that way, and I'm going to deceive you to believe that even though you have this body, that you are trapped in the wrong body. That's a hatred towards humanity. It's to detach people from coming to the knowledge of who God made them to be. And that is nothing more than the brokenness of the image that happened by the fall. And so the, uh, I don't want to get into tangents, but I'm saying the increase of spiritual activity against humanity is going to create three woes. So the first of that is a fifth trumpet is sounded, and this is a plague of locusts, but it's not like locusts that we know about. The fifth angel sounded in verse 9, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key to the shaft of the abyss was given to him. So I want you to know that this is not a meteorite because it talks about this star falling, that falling to the earth as having a, a personage. It's a person who carried a key that had been given to him. And angels in the Bible, it can go back and forth, are often called stars. It says, he opened the shaft of the abyss and smoke ascended out of the shaft like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke of the shaft. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth and the power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth nor any green thing nor any tree, but only the people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. How many was that? 144,000. We have studied last week, have the seal of God. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a person. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death will flee from them. 
The appearance like the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like human faces. They had hair like the hair of a woman, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt people for five months. They have as king over them, the king of the abyss, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destroyer or destruction, and in the Greek, his name was Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. So we find that this angel comes and he unlocks the abyss where God is stored. And I believe that these actually, I I think that there's a lot of evidence. Where did the demonic come from? God did not make them. The demons are not falling angels. They are disembodied spirits. They long to get back into a body. And so that would give us an indication that they once inhabited bodies. So a lot of theologians believe, actually, that if you remember that when the fallen angels of God had relations with the daughters of men that brought the flood, why did God destroy these offspring that were half fallen angel and half the daughters of men, part human and part not, that the Bible is indicating to us that actually they, um, the destruction had to come to them. And I believe that this is what became the disembodied spirits, and that's why demons want to get back into a human body. Also, we don't understand it completely, but do you remember that Jesus taught about demons, that they seek for, um, they, they, they are sent when they're cast out into waterless places, and then they want to get back into the body. So we find out that even the body is primarily water. We don't understand all of this stuff, but when a demon is taken out of a human body and goes into water, waterless places, he seeks to be in a body once again. And so there's other theories that are out there, theological theories, if there is such a thing. But when we realize that, that somewhere God does not create evil, that evil comes out of choices that people make. But so this angel falls and he unlocks the abyss that's on the earth where these demons are, are stored. Can I remind everybody that when we when, when, we, when Jesus went to the region of the Gadarenes and he found that, that one who was so demon-possessed and what they, they, they begged the demons to be released into the swine that they, what was on the mountain. But do you remember what they said before they said that? They said, do not send us to the abyss. The demons did not want to go into this place, this locked place, where they cannot harass humanity. So we find out that, that, that Jesus actually sent them into the swine. And where did the swine run as soon as they went into the swine? They ran into the water. We don't completely understand that, but the human body is water. They long for that place. When they were cast into the demons, that the demons were cast into the pigs, they headed straight for the water, and there they drowned. Here we find out that as this angel comes and he unlocks him from the abyss, that there's a release of of demonic powers, tormenting spirits that actually go out. Now, whether they are actually, will, will be visible to the human eye, we don't know whether that's true or not because we can't see demons now. But the thing is this, is that John saw in their nature 
that there was something that would bring a great torment to people upon the earth. When we realize that, we, real, we, we remember the fact that the prophet Joel, again, who prophesied there's coming a darkness to the sun, the moon, and the stars, he described a swarm of locusts, and he said they can run up walls, they can run on the ceilings, and they can come inside the house. So that's a very interesting prophecy. John saw it again. Within, they, they have the face of a man. They have what appears to be crowns on their head. They have hair of a woman. There's something in their, in their physicality that would remind of a horse, but there's a sting in their tail. But that sting will carry within it tremendous pain, but not the ability to cause that person to die. So when they are stung by these things, and if we realize that Joel said, they're going to be able to get in windows. They're going to be able to get into the house, that this is the potential for this is to create great chaos and havoc in humanity. We find out why Jesus said people are going to call for the stones to fall upon them because they will seek death and they'll not be able to find it. So this is going to happen for a period of five months. As we're thinking about that, we realize again that God is protecting those who are his own. They will not, this is why we know that they're spiritual, because for five months they're not going to eat any leaves or any kind of plants. These are spiritual beings released from the abyss. They have a commander, don't fully know who he is. He's called the destroyer but they don't eat any food that a locust would normally eat, but they will torment humanity, but they are not allowed to touch those who have the mark of the name of God on their forehead. Then a sixth trumpet is blown, and the four angels from the Euphrates River are released. In verse 13, the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So we know that these are not righteous angels because they are bound. They are bound by the Lord, probably dating back sometime to the time of the rebellion or the time of the rebellion that happened right before the flood. The four angels who have been prepared for the day and for the hour and the day and the month and year were released so that they might kill a third of, of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million, which is a lot. I heard the number of them. And this is how, you know, that's amazing to me. And I forgot to look up the population of the earth, but I don't even think it was at the time. Um, for John to be able to see such a vision of an army that size and that God gave him that actual number. This is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates of color of fire excuse me, of hyacinth and a brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by fire, smoke, and brimstone, which came out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as to not worship demons and the idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their witchcraft, nor of their sexual immorality, nor of their thefts. So once again, we realize that this is an unleashing of the spiritual battle. There is coming a day when every force of rebellion against God, both human 
and spiritual will be happening on the earth. That's why we're seeing these unfolding events that are really overwhelming. For the sake of time, let me go to Revelation chapter 10. Because it talks about then a strong angel from heaven clothed with a cloud and the rainbow was on his head and his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire and he had in his hand a little scroll which he was about to open. Now let me just explain that passage to you that here we have this angel and in, you know, we, angel means messenger. Some people believe that this is, an, he's seeing from earth's side Jesus coming down with the small scroll. We don't know what exactly is in the scroll. We know that there are seven thunders that are released, and John is not allowed to write it down. The Lord will not reveal some things that humanity will someday know until that moment. I believe it would be too overwhelming if we knew it right now. There are seven soundings of thunder and this little scroll, which John is asked to eat that scroll, and it was sweet in his mouth, but it became bitter in his stomach. And that's very interesting because we also realize that the Lord says when he eats the scroll, now you are going to prophesy to nations. You're going to prophesy to the world. So a lot of people believe that this is actually the Lord just saying, I'm releasing to you now the rest of the revelation that John is going to bring forth in this book. He's saying to us that even in all of this, there's a sweetness and a bitterness to it. For the believer understands that Jesus is declaring his victory when he will wrap all things up. When the mystery of God and why he allowed evil to happen on this earth will be revealed. But in all of that, there is a bitterness to it as well that comes to the revelation. During one of my daily podcasts this week, I'm going to talk a little bit further about then the, ari the, the arising of two witnesses that are on the earth. And we find that in Revelation chapter 11. Let me read in verse 1. Then there was given to me a measuring rod. You know what? I'm sorry. Let's start reading at verse 3. I will grant authority to my two witnesses. They will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So for three and a half years, God's going to have two witnesses on the earth. And they will be clothed in sackcloth. They'll be clothed in humility. They're going to be in the second half of the, three, of the seven years. They're going to be ministering on the earth while the Antichrist is going full-blown crazy. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. I'll explain that during the week. And if anyone wants to harm them, the fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These have the power to shut up the sky so that the rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie on the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, which, where also their Lord was crucified. So it's Jerusalem. Those from the people's tribes, languages, and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not allow their dead bodies to be laid in the tomb. And those who live on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who live on the earth. 
And after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them. They stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that time, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed, and behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Can I explain that for you? And as I said, there'll be further explanation of this during the week in my daily um, video that's going to be released. But God raises up two prophets that are going to come with great power. They're going to be actually able to shut up the heavens so it doesn't rain for three and a half years. Isn't that interesting? Elijah shut up the heavens so it wouldn't rain. How long did it not rain? It didn't rain for three and a half years. We also find in this passage the ability to turn water into blood. The, ain't the, the whole earth is going to hate these, these two men, these two witnesses, these two brave souls who are actually going to go out there and demonstrate the power of God. They're going to be, have the ability to release plagues on the earth. The Bible says that they're going to be indestructible. They will be immune to death. No one's going to be able to kill them. And out of their mouth will come a fire and a power that will consume and destroy their enemies. These two are two crazy human beings we haven't seen the like of anywhere since the creation of the beginning of all things. So they're going to lie in the street when the Antichrist comes out of the abyss. Do you remember the Antichrist for seven years is making a covenant with Israel. Halfway through, he's going to break the covenant with the Jews. Why? Because he's filled with the spirit of the Antichrist. Satan inhabits. He comes from the abyss. He inhabits the Antichrist. So as he inhabits the Antichrist, the Antichrist then, what does he want to do? He wants to kill the two prophets. And there's going to be a showdown that we'll look at later that's very interesting because he can almost match some of the miracles that are found in the Bible. It's going to be a very, going to be a lot of miracle signs and wonders, and people are going to be like, who is this coming from? On what side is this happening? They're going to be killed by the beast, who is the Antichrist. They're going to lie in the streets for three, three and a half days. What's interesting about that is that until recently, you wouldn't have been able to see such an event, where it says all the world will look at these men lying in the street for three and a half days, and they'll refuse to bury them because it says, basically, it's going to look like Christmas. Everybody is going to celebrate, be watching them dead in the streets of Jerusalem, where it says... The Messiah was crucified, and in that place, they will refuse to bury him to, to, to be a part of that great celebration. But then what happened is on the th three and a half days, these two are going to rise. And just like that happened to the events during the resurrection of Christ, we find out that there was that they were ascended into heaven. They were taken up. They were resurrected. And an earthquake happens in Jerusalem that kills 7,000 people. It's really kind of a, an astounding time. Now, as I look at that, let me just wrap up with the seventh trumpet. We don't have to look at it much. What is the seventh trumpet release? Seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders begin to worship. The, the temple of God in heaven is open, and the ark of the covenant appears in heaven. 
Now, I just want to tell you this. Even though the revelation of this comes as the process unfolding events would seem to take us to the first three and a half years, these seven trumpets are happening throughout the seven-year period. The seven seals are happening throughout the seven-year um, tribulation period. The seven vials are happening throughout the seven-year period. What is the third and final woe that is released through the blast of the seven trumpet? That is when Christ, it is the declaration of him coming with eyes on fire on a white horse with the armies of the Lord following him. And this is the third woe because it will be the day of the resurrection of all the dead who were, who, who were rebellious against the Lord. And it's a third woe because now they will stand in that place of judgment. You know, I, I just want to remind all of us, let's just stand up together. The reason why this thing is so amazing, this book, for us to, to study it, is because we understand, man, we are living. We are living for a righteous, a true, and a just God who has declared over the earth that he will wrap things up. This word is given to us so that we might believe now rather than believe when it's too late. I want to be on the winning side, man, when these events are unfolding. And if you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you don't have to be perfect. And I guarantee you, you'll never be perfect as long as you live on this earth. But you can be forgiven. The power of the cross of the one who was crucified in Jerusalem is the one who sets us free from the power of sin. And the Bible says this, perfect love has cast out the fear of judgment. If you give your heart to Jesus, man, you don't have to worry about these kind of things. These are judgments that come against those who refuse to bow their knee to God. But if you come before the Lord today, you can be forgiven. And when God looks on you, you are clean, completely clean. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a second. I'm going to close in prayer. And if you want to give your heart to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today, he's done all the work. He's waiting for you to receive him. If you say, Pastor Jim, I want to be included in the closing prayer, I want you to just lift up your hand saying, could you do a prayer for, for us to receive Jesus into our heart, to have our sins forgiven? If you raise your hand, I'm going to invite you to come to the front. Yes, in front of everybody, because a confession before men releases a confession in heaven that we're a child of God. Real quickly, just lift up your hand. You're just saying, today I want to be saved, and I want to know Jesus as my Savior. If that's you, don't worry about anybody else in the room. This is painless, really. But the Lord is calling all of us to him today. Is there anyone? God, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you, Lord God, for victory. Thank you for victory. I pray, Lord, that you would bless these people. Fill them with your spirit. Let them be a great light on the earth. And let people see their life and be drawn to Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Bless them this day. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for coming. If you need prayer today, there will be elders in the front. They can pray for you. Whatever your need is, the Lord is here to touch your life. God bless you all. Thank you for coming. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.